Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something Podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and with me, as always, is Larry Sands. How's it going, Larry? Oh, man, for the start of the new year, it is absolutely, it's it's going. It's going great. Already busy, keeping busy, looking even more into the future and getting more busy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, you know, Eric, we we've talked about this. Cause we're kind of like in the driver's seat of our own like creative yeah. world. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like we, there's just, there's just plans that we're, we've been kind of talking about. There really you know? is like 2021 was obviously a big year with making the movie. Yeah. Um, then doing film the film festival yeah. and then just um, all the, the PR stuff that we're doing. So 2021 was busy. 2022, we didn't do, we didn't do anything huge. We were still doing stuff, just not on the level of 2021. And I think that was good because I don't think we would have handled doing another big year right yeah. back to back you know it wouldn't have been good for us yeah i mean especially because obviously you're you're you in 2022 were right in the middle of editing the horror yeah. film right yeah. yeah um and so we were kind of laying low on the filmmaking side but <laughs> I, the one thing i love about spotify is it gives you like a wrap-up right yeah and you know, we may have been laying low on the 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 filmmaking side, but podcasting wise, and we were surprised. We really were by our numbers for the all the shows, really. I know, I know. Um, I and it still blows my mind because every time I, I tell somebody about our podcast, we're in like the top 50 of uh no top 10 of 58 people's list. Right? Yeah, yeah. We're top five in 39 people's list and we're top one or we're number one in 18 people's like list. Yeah, it's really humbling and scary when you think I about know, right? it. We got a lot to live up to this year. <laughs> yeah, I was telling one of my friends about that. And, you know, we're both big wrestling fans. And he was just like, you know, you should cut a heel promo on only your biggest fans. <laughs> That's right. That's hilarious. Like do a you people promo. Oh my, it's amazing. That's amazing. But you know, the, the podcast. I think we're starting off with a bang. We're going to continue. We've got some musicians that we're setting yes. up. So it's it's going to be a great year all around. I I know it is. I don't believe it. I know it. So exactly. And you know, yes. um, we have a really great guest on who I can't wait for us to get into. We were both saying that we watched his YouTube documentary today. And again, links to that will be in the description because it's really, really moving. Um, Larry, tell us a little bit more about our guest so we can get right into him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first show of the new year, 2023, we have Actually, we got a really great guest, J.D. Slacker. Welcome to the show. Hey, fellas. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, you guys do a tremendous job on your show, and I'm not, I'm not surprised in the slightest to hear you have 
this uh, strong following of these like people that enjoy what you guys do. And as I mentioned off screen um, from the, the bit I've watched about you guys, I can, I instantly felt that pull to just continue to listening and roll into the next episode with your shows. And um, you know, I definitely think it's worth giving Leah Rachel a shout out. That was an amazing episode you guys had with her. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to hopefully reading her book at some point. Um, but yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I feel honored to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh thank man. You, thank man. you. Thank you for, for coming on and taking the time. Thank you. Um, let's, let's start out. You have a brand new book out, right? Yeah. My new, book, my new book came out maybe now it's been, gosh, like two, like a month and a half or two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's definitely very fresh in the world and I'm constantly getting hit up by people all over the place who are like just starting it halfway through it, finished it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun chaotic time when uh, a book first come out, comes out, but yeah, it just came out a couple months ago. That's cool. It's called darling. You're not alone. And right. it talked to us a little bit because you, you, I don't think, and I'm trying to find the right words. I don't think you're the typical author because you started out really as as a basketball, right? As your profession or your career. You did high school, then you went to college. Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, definitely to say that I'm not the traditional author is like the understatement of the year. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm definitely very candid and sort of open about that for a lot of different reasons, because I do think like, you know, typically authors sort of get th- this this label of being sort of very like far away and out of touch and and also like, you know, incredibly intelligent and and really gifted linguistically. And I mean, I'm not I'm not <laughs> saying that like I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm hopefully I'm smart enough, but I definitely wasn't like the, the, the type of student that got A's in all my classes and sort of you know, floated through all this academia and was tabbed as like, you're going to be a great, you know, book writer one day. (laughs) Um, That was certainly not who I was. And I think, you know, that misconception about, about writing and maybe authors is uh, something I'm looking to kind of break the uh, mold for. Uh, Because I do think there's a lot of terrific voices out there that sort of feel like they can't ever achieve the the heights of these great authors um, when they, you know, when they feel like they they weren't those people growing up. And and I, I try to share with people my story that, hey, I wasn't that either. And, um, you know, some of my favorite authors I've come to learn also were a lot like me too. And, you know, like a good example is John Irving who wrote The World According to Garp and Hotel mm-hmm. New Hampshire. And I'm actually reading Hotel New Hampshire right now. So that's why I'm thinking of him. But I read some of his style and his prose and I'm like, wow, I mean, this is obviously terrific, but um you know, this isn't a, this isn't a standard story. This isn't a standard book. And he's become one of the most prolific authors of our time. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to do something similar. And, you know, and I think Colleen Hoover is a more, more relatable example too. I mean, she got started in such an interesting way. So yeah, basketball was sort of the thing that gave me, I think the confidence in myself to uh, push on and, and write books. And uh, yeah, you know, now that I'm retired as a basketball player, I'm a full time, full time author. And uh, it's been really, really fun. I feel very lucky for sure. That's, That's cool. awesome. 
So Excellent. talk a little bit about where you went to school, because again, I follow all sports, college basketball in particular. Um, you went to a pretty great program. You know, it's not like a run of a mill one. So tell everybody a little bit about it. <clears throat> yeah. So I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, you know, Southern California. And um, basketball is, is pretty is pretty huge here. Uh, there's a lot of really great players and um, I was sort of inserted into like the prep scene at a young age. And, you know, another thing that maybe is a bit important to note about my story is I wasn't always like, you know, I'm six, six now, but when I was growing up, I was sort of this like undersized allergy kid, you know, with red hair that just like loved sports. So I wasn't ever like touted as, you know, going to be this D one prospect. Um, but I just, you know, I love the game. And so I was playing it like, you know, against these really high level athletes growing up. And I just continued to like grow and get bigger and stronger and eventually was recruited by UC Santa Barbara to play, um, you know, collegiately there. And that's only about two hours from where I'm from. So, you know, it was this incredible opportunity to kind of remain local and be sort of this hometown kid that got to compete at, uh, you know, what, what really was my dream school growing up. Like UCSB was the place that I'd always sort of really? said like, one day I would love mm -hmm. to play there. And, um, you know, we had some amazing teams there. Like I went out and played semi Ojale and shake Milton out in, uh, SMU during my college career. I went and played Robert Williams out at Texas A&M. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I traveled the country with my teammates at UCSB playing against some, you know, some of the, today's nba superstars yeah and one of them was on my own team uh gabe vincent who is uh plays for the miami heat was my college mm -hmm. teammate he's my best friend wow. um, i was just with him last week actually yeah. when they played the clippers and the lakers so yeah basketball is still very like alive in my life um even though i'm not playing anymore but you know it was amazing guys is like once i wrote my first book moonflower in 2018 uh, which was the year I graduated from college. So I wrote it while I was still playing. Wow. The university uh, rallied behind me so massively. Awesome. And yeah, like really threw me into just, you know, um, as much media as they could and as much support as they could give in every single way. And like, it was, I mean, it was so, so unexpected. And so, I don't know, kind of like gives you hope and humanity kind of thing where like the little, the, 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 you know, the, the guy at the, on the team that was just like thrusted and just, they just gave me the keys to the city kind of thing. And, and like, they still are the gift that keeps giving. I mean, I'm, I'm doing press and media up there all the time in Santa Barbara because of the continued support of, you know, even the chancellor of the university is someone who's like a great friend and yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. So I think like, you know, to be recruited there and play there was a dream, but then to have written a book and then see them, rally behind me still so kind of massively was uh i mean it was remarkable and something i'm still sort of you know struggling to put into words because it's so were cool, you studying cool. english while you were there or have you just always been a reader and wanted to take the next step yeah you know i've always been a reader um but i had an amazing writing professor at uc santa barbara named macy bernstein who is uh like my best friend and and he's this 80 year old man who mm. is just like 
so amazing and so incredible but when we didn't really get along actually when he was my when I was his student and he used to just like rip apart my college essays and like you know give me all this harsh criticism and he really did that to everyone uh he just held us to such a high standard that it made all of us much better writers and much more critical thinkers and um when I actually wrote my first book which I mentioned in college he was the first person I had read it and I knew he was such a critic that he would tell me if this was any good or not and uh yeah sure enough he's like I think this is one of the best books I've ever read wow yeah and once I got that vote of confidence I mean so at this point I'm 22 years old I really just like set set fire to the ground and just haven't looked back since uh you know now I'm 28 and I'm on my second book and third book and uh it's I think a lot of it came from that that belief may she had in me and yeah now I talk I I mean I so that was six seven years ago I emailed with may she probably on a weekly if not you know or probably monthly if not weekly basis um and uh yeah he's he's an incredible friend and and I feel so lucky to have him that's cool. That's very cool. We will get into Moonflower, I promise you. Um, uh, but I do want to ask, you know, <clears throat> hearing you talk about your basketball and the uh, um, the drive and determination that you had just to play that sport and to to get to where you were and who you are today. Yeah. Did you put any of that into your book um darling you're not alone yeah tons i think that's a great great uh question and just a great point to be honest because like you know i think and and you guys are creative so you can i want you guys to speak on this too coming from like the filmmaking side but there's so many roadblocks and so many (laughs) people that will critique your work or tell you it's not good enough or just or just flat out like not get back to you and not respond and somehow every day you have to continue to turn the wheel and figure out a new direction and um that's just a part of what the arts are yeah and um i think most artists are very a bit more fragile and and protective of their work because they are so creative that that's very hard for them to deal with but as an athlete that's sort of all you do is you adjust and refocus and figure out a new course of action because you do all this prep for these huge games and you do all this film and and practicing and you run your plays and like you drill it until it becomes second nature. But then the second that ball goes in the air and you're in front of 30,000 fans, like you're, you're, you're working on the fly. Like you're, in a huge game, in an environment, reacting to your defender, reacting to the crowd, reacting to the score and time of the game. And I, I grew up my whole life doing that. So when I got out of sports and went into the arts, um, all of the adjusting and, and, and taking sort of like, you know, let's call it like uh, critiques, if you will, became just like, you know, second nature. I mean, my some of my, my editors and publishers have said that they feel like for me personally, that's the, that's the best quality about my writing is I'm willing to take in what others say is, is good or bad and then make changes and then go with that. And uh, yeah, I think that all stems from my athletic background. And so, you know, for Darling, You're Not Alone, my new book, I actually took three years to write it. 
um, because, you know, I gave it to so many different people over the years that would give me new ideas and directions. And I was kind of taking in all this info that helped me see like a, a path forward to making this book as good as possible. And I don't think that process is ever finished. I think you eventually just kind of like get sick of it and you're like, all right, like, I don't think I can keep changing yeah. this anymore and keep my yeah. sanity. Books um, don't finish, they escape. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and there's so many quotes similar to that that I've heard. Like I've heard, you never finish a book, you abandon it. And yeah. uh, I think with Darling, I certainly reached that breaking point where I was like, this is, it's, it's ready. It, it has to be ready. And uh, yeah, I'm super pleased with how it turned out. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of that came from, to answer your question, from my athletic background. Yeah. yeah. So with me, I'm a big outliner when it comes to my scripts. Like I'll usually start off with just the <clears throat> one little sentence synopsis. Then after that, I get, yeah, <laughs> I do my pen and paper outline. Then after that, I moved to my index card outline. Well, I've also written profiles of the characters. Then I go into the index card outline. Then after that, another paper and pen outline. Then after all of that, I'm finally ready to go into final draft and write. I do that because I feel it helps me get rid of my writer's block then and there before the process starts, which is why I'm able to finish a full, it's not even a first draft of a script. It's pretty much the finished script by then. What is your writing process like? Are you an outliner or are you a, what they call a pantser, just fly by the seat of your pants? Uh, you know, I was actually, I was actually having coffee with a friend who is a filmmaker um, and uh, I won't say his name because I don't want to expose him on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, we were having coffee and he, he's my age or he's actually a bit younger than me. So I'm 28. He's probably like 25, 26, really talented kid. Uh, and he's a, he's a writer director. And he and I were talking, I think with maybe, I think we were actually with a few other people who are, who are not in the uh, sort of creative industry and, they had asked us like, so what is your guys process? Like, how do you sort of get started? And we were amongst friends. So we were kind of like, you know, joking and having just like a pretty, pretty like non-serious conversation. And my friend sort of looked at me and he was like, he was like, do you outline? And I sort of looked at him and then we kind of looked at each other. And at the both time, we're like, absolutely not. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, I think, I think typically, I'll say this though, I, and I've written scripts as well. I think for scripts, there are so many beats that you want to hit on certain pages and notes exactly, yeah. that you have to have those sort of uh, mapped out prior. And when anytime I've written a script, I actually have like a full board where I do, I lay out all my beats, like my, you know, my break into act. You read Save the Cat also? Yeah. Oh yeah. Save <laughs> the Cat. Of course. Of course, I've studied that book for years. My I mean, favorite screenwriting book. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. For anybody out there who's looking, I mean, on a, I would even go as far as saying just learning story in general, read oh, that yeah. book. Like well, it helped he, me a lot. They put out a book, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. It's yeah. obviously Blake, you know, passed away, but yeah. his company is still putting stuff out in that mm -hmm. style. Yeah, well, and, and just, just to have like that foundation is uh, really important, I think, for any writers out there. But I, uh, 
so so, so I definitely outline while I'm writing scripts for sure. I, I think that's key. But for books, I, I have to admit, like I go about it in a different way. I handwrite my entire first drafts, uh, all you know, 400 pages, which is pretty insane, which is pencil yeah. and paper. And I have so many reasons why I do that, which, you know, if you guys would like, I'm happy to get into, but we don't have yeah. to spend too much time. I do because it feels more personal when I'm doing it pen and paper before yeah. I move to the computer. Well, it, for, for me, there's a, a few different reasons. Number one, uh, it uh, gives me the... It gives me the actual tangible proof that I'm making progress towards a book where when you're writing on a laptop or excuse me, I call it yeah, and that's typing when you're typing, uh, you can't physically see the progress you're making and you can almost sort of get lost within the story that you're creating. So handwriting for me is like a way for me to, to show myself, okay, I'm 10 pages in today, let's get to 12 and the day after that, let's get to 18 and you, you, then you can look back and, and, and I mean, literally see them in front of you. Um, the other thing is so often, and, and this kind of goes back to my point about, you know, how authors feel so far away and out of touch is um, I think people get so caught up in their grammar mistakes and their misspellings and, and even just problems with their plot that they start going back and editing before they're finished with a first draft. And when you hand write, it almost forces you to just keep going and trying to get to your ending and just mm. pushing you forward. And they, I mean, the, you know, this is not my quote, but they say 50% of people that sit down to write a book never finish a first draft. Mm. And I think the best way to ensure that you will is to hand write it um, because that will force you to not look back at your previous mistakes, which you will have, everybody has that. Uh, and then the other thing, the final thing is for me, you know, I'm not the biggest technology person. So to get away from emails and calls and texts and kind of yeah. the distractions of the world, to be able to just hand write is really kind of meditative. And uh, I don't know, it just sort of makes me feel very free. And I love that. It's actually my favorite part about writing a book is that first step. So yeah, that's a little bit about my process to those that are interested, but uh, that's how I go about it. <clears throat> I, I think it, I think it's always good um, because Eric and I, we love to talk to people about not only their projects, but their their process in creating. Because I think, you know, you had mentioned it in in your documentary, right, um, that when because it's everybody, everybody experiences love, everybody experiences loss. It's just the different levels and sections, right? So as creative people, like I don't write at all. I have, I, uh, I, yeah. I mean, you guys, whoo, man. Wow. As writers, I, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. But, but, you know, when you were talking about how creatives deal with like like rejection or people coming up and saying oh this is good i like why don't you do that and taking other people's it's hard it's really hard because and 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 i think creatives have to be really good at going with the flow because i think you said it uh jd where you it's much like with like a uh 
um, an athlete, right? You do all this prep, you get in the game and it just kind of goes out. So you have to, you have to know yourself enough. You have to trust yourself enough to, to suck it up and go, you know what? Everything's going to go out the window because as an actor, you know, going to an audition, being mm -hmm. on set, right. As, and even, you know, Everybody has this idea of, oh man, this is gonna be so great. As actors, you're you've got your lines, you've got your script, you got how you're gonna play it. You get into the room for the audition, and then the casting director's like, Well, let's do this. And you're like, Oh, okay. Can you give me one little quick minute? All right, let's do this thing, right? right. And you really have to be pliable and moldable in your own way where you're comfortable enough. And I think a lot of young creatives create and i say young creatives just starting out and trying to figure out where they are in the world as a beginner and what they see on like entertainment tonight or extra mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. because there's a there's a giant gap with that and and i i love to hear about the process and it never gets old because eric i listen you know we talk all the time and and you know, people that's a come damn on. lion, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's great to hear um the process because I I would imagine like there's a writer out there listening to this somewhere yeah. going, man, <clears throat> what's my best process? And then they hear and it's like, I'm gonna try that. Or they go, Oh my god, I've been doing it right the whole time. <laughs> right. And I, I think. I think you have to find your groove as as any kind of creative to know who you are as a creative. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I that makes me think of a lot of different a lot of different directions I can take yeah. that, a lot of different yeah. things I have to say and I'd say number 1 is you know, there's certainly a level of um like I think in the beginning of my career like through my first book, there was so much excitement and so much support for you know, being 23, having written this book, it doing really well, and uh, all that came with that. And then now I'm 28, and I have my second novel, and then that's being released and going out into the world in an even bigger way. But what I'm learning is like, <clears throat> when I was getting started, everyone was so happy to see uh, just just like the proof of of the existence of a book and so like I was it was easier to please people I like I think that's right. what I'm trying to say yeah and now that I'm in like this critical space where it's super competitive <laughs> and now it's my second book is there's a whole nother level of expectations that is very new to me and I didn't realize wow like there's going to be so many different different you know ideas and people yeah. have different things to say about this or that and then people are going to rediscover my first book now and, and read them almost backwards. And yeah. that's been a really interesting thing that, you know, you made me think of with your point. But the other thing that I would say is also in the exact opposite way, when I was first getting started and I would talk about my process and how I did it, so many people were like, hey, man, that is not how you should do it. You need to oh, not handwrite oh. and, you know, you, you need to like, uh, you know, outline it in this way or that way. And I had so many people giving me advice and, and trying to tr sort of change how I went about writing. But now that I'm, you know, seeing this, I'm on the end of the success of my second book and, you know, already into my third, now people are actually like, hey, 
you've got it. That's your process. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to mess with it. That's just how you do it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's intriguing. This I'm just kind of give you some examples of yeah. how where depending on where you're at in the motion of your career, how people will change, how they talk to you about how you do it, you know, certain things. And yeah, I think that's pretty normal, but yeah, yeah, for anybody out there that's listening, that's wanting to write, interested in writing, I'm totally supportive of you. I, you know, anything I can do to speak on that or help out with that, I'm, I'm here for, I had so many great people that, you know, were in my corner in the beginning and, and are still there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy exercise to figure out how you do it. But once you do, I think you should stick with it. Yeah. Here, here. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and actually I was going to ask from your first book to your second book, what are some of the changes? And you did kind of mention it um, about how you approached it because your first book from, from what I like read about it and watch your documentary is ab really about your friendship. Hmm right um yeah most definitely yeah yeah and and that so that was based in reality and and now darling you're not alone is that based in somewhat of a reality or more just story no not at all and that's a really great way to kind of describe the difference between the two so that's exactly how i would say it is like moonflower my first book was certainly based on my real life experience hmm. um you know coming from film guys, that was kind of, I've heard people say this is my school movie, which is, right. you know, people refer to it as like the first thing you ever write is about what you know in your own life yeah. in some way. Mm -hmm. Moonflower was certainly that. Darling, You're Not Alone was actually probably my first break into true fiction because um, no part of that story and nothing that I've ever lived through was anything like Darling, You're Not Alone. And uh, yeah, it was completely made up and uh, so they're, they are different in that way, but they're both a sort of young adult YA genre coming of age. Yeah. Stories yeah. like the characters are similar in age, but yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny in a way, well, funny to me because knowing that, that you wrote your first book, right? Um, Moonflower about like a true, true story, right? Based, based in reality. <clears throat> I go and I go, oh, darling, you're not alone. And then I, re I read like the little tagline. Uh, How do you believe in a light when all you've seen, known and felt is the dark? And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so amazing. I wonder if this is another true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. I uh, and I love that line, too. I think that's really yeah. I think it's sort of like grabs you. Well, it's also so true too, you know, like I think I try to write with a real heavy amount of, of honesty. Um, and, and in that, like all my characters, I try to give them, you know, sort of like, I, I try to give the reader as they're experiencing this, any story I write, this sort of look into the minds of how people actually think, which yeah. is kind of a freaky thing like I mean you really wouldn't want to know the thoughts of every single person walking down the road like I think that would be kind of overwhelming but I do think that people are generally um more pessimistic maybe than we realize yeah and yeah. outwardly internally I mean outwardly yeah. 
they may be, you know, they may have a smile on their face. They may be yeah. just feeling yeah. themselves one more day. Hey, how are you? You know, good morning type of conversation. But um, I don't think that's how people are internally all the time. And so Phoenix, the main character in Darling, You're Not Alone is this sort of kid that's, yeah, he's really struggling. Like he's really going through just a complete battle of like 15 years old is not an easy age to be. It's the and, scariest age. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And, and uh, I wanted to sort of speak towards this character that, is just becoming old enough to realize like, is the world really this gloomy? Like, mm. is it, is there this little hope ahead? And why does, why does everyone continue to act like it's this world, the world is just this like wonderful place. And the book is really his discovery of, you know, it is worth it. Like there is this, there is a really beautiful part of the world out there and how he goes about that is like, you know, that's what the story is all about. But yeah, that's where that line, I think, sort of comes from. It's like, that's what basically Phoenix wakes up and thinks every day. How do I believe in the light when all I've seen, known, and felt is the dark? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it, if if there's, and I mean, it, it is true in life, right? You know, I mean, how do you believe in something when all you've known is the exact reverse yeah. of it, right? Yeah. And what I... I know we kind of now that we're talking about the book between between your first book and this book, how did you what popped into your head about writing Darling, You're Not Alone? How did that start? Did it feel oh man, there's so many questions now mm -hmm. that's just popped into my head. Like <laughs> how how do you go from uh from a true story? And then you automatically go to like this, this fictional character, mm. but is it really based in some kind of a reality, but put in I just all kinds of, all I'm like really like <laughs> intrigued now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you. I've got you. We, we, we've got the wheel spinning now. Yeah. You go any different direction. No, mm -hmm. I, uh, I'd, you know, it's funny. I've act, first of all, I don't think I've ever been asked this question. And I don't think I've actually ever given this answer. Uh, so this is this is going to be really interesting for me to unpack. But I got to admit, like, for Moonflower, you know, obviously, like any time I got to, you know, again, so let, let, let me backtrack, right? So I'm 21 years old. I've never written anything before in my whole life. Yeah. And I start to pull this book out of me, like, like one day at a time and a little bit more is coming out. And it's like that. I mean, that's a really weird and sort of crazy thing to, to realize is inside of you. And but every time I got to a like a let's call it like a roadblock or, you know, for for better terms, like a writer's block, mm -hmm. I could fall back on my memory, reality, yeah. what happened to get around it. Right. While writing Moonflower. So I think after Moonflower came out and I had all this, you know, success and I was talking to all these people and going to all these places and all these people were giving me all this kind of, you know, warm praise, which is amazing. I sort of in the back of my head would ask myself like, dang, I don't know how you're ever going to top this. Cause like, how are you going to have another experience? That's this amazing with someone in the real world. And then how are you going to, and then, and then you have to write about it. Wow. So I think I had, I had to sort of soul search to figure out like, do you really have the chops to write a full, novel that's completely fiction or not and then when i got into darling you're not alone and i had that sort of fear of like what's going to happen when i get to that first roadblock and like i don't have 
a uh, re, you know the my past or or old memories to lean on to get me through it. And when I figure, and I, I, again, I hope I don't sound too like overconfident or something with this answer, but when I figured out that not only could I get around those things, but I felt like I, it was even more freeing to not have to rely on the reality of a story. I really realized like, oh my gosh, like this really is in me. And then the world became just like this, like it just opened up in a way that is, is hard, hard to explain, but like, it was such an amazing feeling uh, creatively to then realize you can do it. You can go any direction you want. And uh, Darling, You're Not Alone was my first exposure to that, that I had inside of me. And now I've got millions of book ideas and places, <laughs> plot twists. And yeah, it's sort of endless now. But And I've heard that for other writers. Like I've spoken to other other authors that have said, like, when you write your first one, it's all you can think about and it sort of proves you can do it, but you're not really truly in this, in this, you know, kind of world until you've written your second, because that kind of shows you that you really have the ability to, to just write as many books yeah. as you can. And uh, after that, you know, this, the rest is history sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. So tell us like the, the story of the book, who do you, who would you say this book is for? Yeah, well, so I'll start by kind of explaining the story of the book, and then I'll answer kind of the audience for it. But basically, so the book is about a 15 year old kid named Phoenix Ivor, who is uh, living in the town of small town of Darling, Colorado in the year 1999. And Phoenix is sort of this like, really gifted mind and like a really intelligent kid. Uh, but he sort of suffers from like social anxiety and depression and kind of, you know, like I've said, this feeling that the world is not this like warm place. And he has this incredible relationship with his father named Herman. And Herman is like this glass half full, you know, always sees the positive and everything type of type of dude. But uh, he has this kind of mysterious past where he used to be a police officer and was like this hero of the town. And then suddenly he's he's no longer that. And he's just the security guard at Darling High School. And, um, you know, Phoenix doesn't know or understand what happened to his dad and in his past, he just knows that his dad, you know, had lost his job in some way. So Phoenix is starting his freshman year at Darling High School when the book begins. And uh, he and his dad walk to school together every day. And this is how we sort of get to know Phoenix and his dad. And, um, you know, he, Phoenix's dad sort of has this, like, he kind of like moves on clouds almost, like it's like a cool way to describe it. Like he just, the world, things don't bother him. And, Phoenix is always so sort of, uh, I don't know, just sort of confused about that. Again, kind of knowing what he knows about the world. He's like, why would my dad be so happy all the time? Mm. And um, so Phoenix is throughout the story starting to uncover more and more about what happened to his dad, why he lost his job. When just as he's on like the brink of, of discovering this, this, you know, the, the full story of his past, uh, he walks into the library at Darling High School one morning and two students who, instead of holding books or holding handguns, walk in behind oh, him. And Phoenix then is thrusted into the midst of what is the worst school shooting in U.S. history at his oh, high school God. of Darling High School. And the rest of the book from there, and this is all very early on in the story, but that's sort of the catalyst that sets the story forward in motion after that is, you know, how does Phoenix, who is this already kind of 
struggling person deal with the reality of like going through something that is obviously just terrifying. Yeah. And uh, yeah, darling, you're not alone is, is how Phoenix tries to put together the pieces of his life after suffering this traumatic event and um, you know, trying to figure out what happened to his dad and the book, I think, you know, I, I think YA is an amazing genre because I really think anybody can read it and take something yeah. from it. And uh, although Phoenix is 15, 16 throughout the book, uh, there are even flashes of him when he's younger and, you know, when he's 10 and 11. Um, I think I think anyone can read that and, and, and enjoy it and, and, and like it because in whether you're a parent and you have kids or whether you're that age right now, uh, I think there's a lot we can relate to. And, you know, I still read YA and I'm 28. <laughs> so, That's all I read is like YA yeah. and YA horror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the genre. I think, I think it's such an impressionable time of our lives that, um, you know, the people we meet and, and have friendships with end up staying with us forever uh, through that, that period because of how important those years are. And um, yeah, that's sort of the audience I had in mind for it, but. Okay, so to be perfectly honest, Eric, you know what I'm going to say. I am not a reader, JD, but goodness gracious me, oh my, with that, with that, with that, just brief talk about your new book. Um, you you kind of make make me want I made to a reader be out a of reader, <laughs> <laughs> at least for one book. At least for one. Cool. And, 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 and ladies and gentlemen that listening to this podcast go to the link right now because it's on amazon it's at barnes and noble yep. you have to go buy it you have to go um uh, i was gonna say jd is there a way that like people can order it from you and get like a signed copy <laughs> not to yeah, put right. you on that'd, the be spot. that'd be sweet uh not yet uh but i think hey if, if you are if you read the book and you enjoy it how about this? You read the book, you enjoy it, and you love it. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram. Find me on there, JD underscore Slacker, or you can get it to me on my website, jdwritesbooks.com. There's a way to comment. And send it to me, and I'll sign it and send it back for sure. Oh, I would love that. Um, okay, prepare to get hit up a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely do. And uh, I, I try to be as good as I can about responding to people with that request um and it's it's believe me it's so fun and amazing to hear from folks that love the book and um i've been signed you know you get used to signing them a lot which is yeah. cool but yeah. uh you know what if the worst thing i have is to to be slow responding to people signing the book then that's that's okay you know i'll, I'll get <laughs> right. to everyone eventually so yes yes uh and um obviously i kind of know because you just mentioned it how does it feel to know that that number one, you've made a difference because we haven't really even covered. Obviously, you know, you you wrote your first book, but because of your first book, all these amazing things we haven't even talked about, um, like all the the great and amazing things that that your first book kind of opened the door to. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean. I mean, we could do a Joe Rogan, you know, three yeah, or four hour podcast, out. right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but 
Well, I'll have to come back. I'll have to come back for sure. You guys are amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would love to. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And we could, we can, you know, I'm happy to to talk about some of it if you guys would like. But we yeah, could yeah, a whole, talk about a whole nother show on that too. If you guys would like, I'm, I'm I, we will, yeah, yeah, definitely have you back on for sure. But you know, we're on here, and I think it would we wouldn't be doing you justice and your cause really that that really is bigger than than everything, you know, right now. Um, tell us about your Luke Strong Foundation and you being a partner with the American Red Cross. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so my first book, Moonflower, is is written and dedicated to a little boy who was my biggest fan named Luke Bodden, who passed away from sickle cell disease. Uh, and that's sort of the inspiration for my first book. And uh, his parents went on to found a nonprofit that supports children that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease called the Luke Strong foundation that I'm also one of the directors of. Um, so a lot of what I do outside of my writing career is like, I'll go and speak at charities and, uh, you know, events and try and raise money for the Luke Strong Foundation because, uh, you know, there's such a need and, and sickle cell disease is such a horrible illness and ailment that affects so many people that, uh, there, yeah, there's like, a, you know, an endless amount of work to do with that. So I try to always like, you know, talk about it when I can and find different ways to, to raise money. And then my work with the American Red Cross is sort of a, on the side of that, but very similar because uh, my home burned down in a fire in 2018, uh, mm-hmm. which is the same year my first book was released. Yeah. And I ended up using that book to do a fundraiser for the American Red Cross as well. Uh, so I do a lot of like speaking with them and disaster relief. And there's also a, a, a medical component to the American Red Cross. And so I've actually had some, no pun intended, like crossover with sickle cell disease in them too. And mm-hmm. yeah, so my my sort of charity work is is a lot of speaking, a lot of going out and just trying to tell people more about, um, you know, how they can help. And, and if, you, if you can't give financially, maybe giving your time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, lo- I love doing that because I think being a writer is such a solitary uh, profession that, you know, the opposite side of what I do is being very public and I get to go out and like do all these cool speeches and stuff. So yeah, yeah that's kind of how both those charities have worked their way into my life. But yes. Um, talk a little bit about your um, very cool documentary. Did I say documentary? Documentary. Yeah. Documentary. Documentary. It's like a well, little bit of water so, boy. Yeah. I so appreciate you guys checking that out. I'm sure as yeah. filmmakers yourselves, that was like a great way to get to know. Very well done. Yes. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, my good friend, Chris Veronis put the entire thing together and he's sort of my manager. And uh, a lot of the things that you, you, you know, a lot of the things that people have seen maybe about me, um, he, he was heavily involved in, and he's someone that I feel very lucky to have in my corner. But yeah, the documentary was, you know, written and directed sort of by him. And, uh, you know, that, that documentary is called Love and Loss, and it's available on my website, also on YouTube. You can look it up, you know, and find it pretty easily. And it sort of chronicles and takes people through the story of my first book, you know, to and, and in a way it's sort of a you know, aligns like the real story with what happened to Luke with also the book and the book's life and, and then also the fires and it sort of brings it all together 
in a 10 minute documentary to show people, um, you know, how everything I went through. And this was all prior to Darling, You're Not Alone. But I do think in a way, looking back, it sort of does do a good job of sort of showing the path I was on to then lead to this book. And um, yeah, please go check it out if you're interested and you're maybe you're a, a bit of a more uh, visual learner. That might be an easier way to get to yes. know me. But <laughs> yes. Yes. yeah, it's, a, it's very cool. It's a very cool documentary. Yeah. And links it's very... will be in the description oh. if you're listening oh, in cool. on Anchor. And when the show goes up, we will have links to it also. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, man, JD, well, real quick about the documentary. Man, I could feel the passion and the sadness i was like man why am i watching this this is got i can't be crying during (sighs) during the 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 interview but it's so emotional and it's so real and it's so raw and i think you know watching that it's it's a really good way to introduce people to who you are which is what it's supposed to do but it never ceases to amaze me that when it works it really works when it's done really well you know um yeah and it, and it, it covers quite a bit like even my speaking career too yeah. i love that part of it um and yeah that was a pretty crazy time i had to live through to 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 you know have the documentary exist was like a lot of different uh things but I don't know. I mean, I've obviously been through some pretty crazy things in my life, but I think we all have. And I I think that's sort of what connects us actually to each other is like this ability to look across the aisle and say, hey, you know, I mean, not to be cliche in any way, but like, that's where the title comes from. You're not alone. Like, darling, you're not alone. Like, I, I know you've been through a lot, too. And if you're standing here, you, you, you certainly have survived quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, I try to like, you know, correct myself whenever I see someone or meet someone. And and instead of putting their story in my head of like, gosh, this person's annoying me on the freeway. Like I wish they would drive faster or I wish this person would hurry up and get, you know, out of my way in the grocery store. It's like, no, no, like that's a mom, that's a daughter, that's Mm -hmm. a, you know, that's a husband or wife or that's someone who has an entire family and an entire story that I know nothing about. And I bet Mm -hmm. they're probably a really great person. And, um, yeah, you, we have to believe in that. We have to continue to believe in people. And, um, I think, I think as much as, you know, my story has been hectic, mine is no different from yours or anyone else's. And, uh, we've all been through a lot to get to where we are. So yeah, I think that that helps me sort of, uh, think about it. Yeah, man, I, that, mm. that's pretty much spoken like a true creative yeah. in, in an art a creative art way, because really a lot of times art does imitate life Mm. right and it's the things that we go through um man i don't know jd i don't know how you feel about like what you've been through are you a a believer and it kind of sounds like it but i'll ask anyway but are you a believer in that you had to go through what you had to go through to be where you are right now Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, looking back, it's so easy to, to make sense of why certain tragedies or things took place that sent me on this path that I'm on, you know, was on, been on. Um, and like, 
I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing guys. Like, like, and this, and this is sort of the, this is sort of one, one, I think glaring example for me was, you know, so my home burned down in 2018 and I was obviously, you know, it's a devastating thing to have to endure. And, and luckily like my, you know, my family was safe. We evacuated, we were, you know, far enough away where we most actually, important you know, thing. yeah, most important thing, right. Is you're physically okay. Um, so that, and, and then I decided to, to donate the, the profits from my first book, Moonflower to the American Red Cross. And then that led me, you know, into this relationship with the American Red Cross, where then they asked me, Hey, would you be willing to come on like a tour with us and go and speak at other places where there have been natural disasters, which I happily, you know, accepted and was very, you know, honored to do. So then I found myself on tour with the American Red Cross all around California, where I was going to like Bakersfield and Fresno and, and San Luis Obispo and all these other towns. And uh, I would come up and speak. And then following, you know, the, there were like these kind of gala events, if you will, they would give awards to people in the community that had done like some sort of amazing charitable work. And I was in, I believe it was in Bakersfield. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I can go back and, and maybe explain if there's a part of the story I missed, but I think this is really worth mentioning is I was in Bakersfield and I just given this talk and I came off the stage and I was meeting with uh, one of the directors who had, you know, put this whole thing together and we were just standing there watching the rest of the ceremony when this, this older gentleman came up and was awarded this, uh, this, this, I call it the volunteer uh, of the year award. And he was probably, I don't know, maybe mid eighties. And, uh, he's, you know, he accepted this award and started speaking and he had this terrible kind of rasp in his voice mm -hmm. and you could hardly hear him. And it was sort of uncomfortable. And I looked at, you know, the director and I said, Oh my gosh, like, what is this guy? Okay. Like what's wrong with his voice? And one of the directors turned to me and said, you know, um, he has stage four throat cancer. And he was given six months to live. And he told us the last thing he wanted to do with his six months of life was to help with the American Red Cross. Wow. And he didn't tell anybody any of this wow. while he was doing it. And this was the only time in his life that he'd done any charitable work. Mm -hmm. And here he was standing up there without even acknowledging, you know, his own struggle wow. and just how much he enjoyed giving back, meeting people, and yeah, he spent the last six months of his time just trying to help others. And despite his own, you know, physical limitations and uh, yeah, I mean, and, and so to, to answer your question, like to really backtrack, does this all make sense and, and, and how it, you know, hit me, I would like to think that the reason my house burned down was so I could meet this guy and and have been there in that audience that day when he spoke. And like that story is now one that I'm sharing with you. This was six years ago. And uh, yeah, it's just stuff like that, that you just can't, you, you know, you just can't, you can't write it. You can't make this up. And uh, it was, yeah, it's that guy. I think about that guy all the time and um, you know, God bless him. Yeah. Wow. Man, that just, it's, it's things like that, you know, obviously, a lot of what we've been talking about and, you know, like everybody's stories, they, they coincide in, in different paths and meanings, but it, it all means the same. 
And I just, I know, you know, because when you're talking about your story, I start thinking about my story, right? Mm -hmm. And and where I've been, where I've come from, things and all this stuff. And you 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 begin to realize, not just as a creative, but a person in general, that, and we, we talk a lot about this on our show, um, various shows, but things that happen in our life are supposed to, to supposed to be there, obviously. Yeah. But no matter where we are today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, this year, the next year, I think you have to look much like your character, the father, mm -hmm. right? It's good to be an optimist and it's okay to be a pessimist. But when you're a pessimist, I think that uh, now we're getting really deep, but, <laughs> but as a pessimist, I think it's okay to be that way, but you have to pull yourself out of that pessimism because if it gets the best of you, you're not going to be the best you. Mm. Absolutely agree with that. Well, and I think being a pessimist is a very, uh, I mean, let's just be honest. It's a very natural first yes. inclination, especially yes. when you're tired, hungry, busy, whatever. You immediately want to just push your worst on, other, <laughs> on folks. Yeah. And yeah. I think all of us can be guilty of that. But you have to just, you have to flip your mind back and say, wait a second. Let me think about all the people I've met and all the things I've been through. And let me project some good on them. And yeah, you'd be amazed how far that gets you in life when you start to do that. And um, yeah, I try I, I try to be better about it because I think, yeah, you'll get much farther in life if you think like that way. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I, I know we have to start wrapping up, but <laughs> we are going to make good with having you back on um you know we'll Let's talk it, off man. air you guys are stuff. amazing i would i would oh, love that so much there's so, so much, much more to man. dive into but yeah i uh i would really i would really enjoy that let's make that happen for yes sure, we will sure. we will um uh for me jd like the if if the rest of the year is gonna go like this this is be the best way to kick show. off <laughs> right and it's just it's inspirational to me to be able to talk to creatives, really anybody with a passion and a dream, but it just so happens to be, we get to talk to a lot of great people with a lot of great stories yeah. and even better projects. And I just, I'm humbled by by how how warm and nice you are and giving of your time. So thank exactly. you. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Well, you know what? Uh, you guys have an incredible show, man. You guys are, you know, you guys make it so easy for me to just come out and then talk about which or what, which what or that or whatever. And, uh, you know, you guys, you guys run a smooth operation here and, um, I've been a lot, I've been on a lot of shows. I've done a lot of podcasts and I, you know, I can't think of many more that have been this easy. So I appreciate you guys doing such a, such a terrific job. And, um, you know, the feeling is very mutual. And so if there's anything I can do, you just go ahead and let me know, but um, yeah, you guys are you guys are kind and and, and creative oh, as well, you, and that man. makes it so easy. So I appreciate it. Thank you.
Well, everyone, we just want to thank JD one more time for coming on the show. Like I said, all of his links will be in the description if you're listening in on Anchor. And when the show goes up, all of the links will be there as well. Well, JD, again, thank you so much for coming on. And remember, and remember everybody, support our troops.